Moses explains the violence against corrupting the covenant of God. Now, this is interesting, and we read about it in the scripture. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembrick. And I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV, going through the Bible from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22 through the whole Bible. This is our 33rd year, and let me tell you something. It is good. Corey is here to help us. Corey. I'm going to be taking a look at the book of Deuteronomy today, its authorship and some of its purposes. Ryan? Well, it's a food fight today because some claim that the Bible is in contradiction on what kinds of food we're allowed to eat. So we'll talk about that later on. All right. Very good. The food fight's coming up in 20 minutes along with everything else. Janice is coming up in 25 minutes, Janice. Today, my segment is Cast the First Stone. All right, very good. And a teaching's coming up in five minutes, so let's get out our Bible guide. If you don't have one, stay tuned. We'll tell you how you can get one. And let's open up the Bible, the most important book, and listen to what God says. Deuteronomy 17, verses 1 through 11. You shall not sacrifice to the Lord your God a bull or sheep, which has any blemish or defect, for that is an abomination to the Lord your God. If there is found among you, within any of your gates which the Lord your God gives you, a man or a woman, who has been wicked in the sight of the Lord your God, in transgressing his covenant, who has gone and served other gods and worshipped them, either the sun or moon or any of the host of heaven, which I have not commanded, and it is told you, and you hear of it, then you shall inquire diligently. And if it is indeed true and certain that such an abomination has been committed in Israel, then you shall bring out to your gates that man or woman who has committed that wicked thing, and shall stone to death that man or woman with stones. Whoever is deserving of death shall be put to death on the testimony of two or three witnesses. He shall not be put to death on the testimony of one witness. The hands of the witnesses shall be the first against him to put him to death and afterward the hands of all the people. So you shall put away the evil from among you. If a matter arises which is too hard for you to judge, between degrees of guilt for bloodshed, between one judgment or another, or between one punishment or another, matters of controversy within your gates, then you shall arise and go up to the place which the Lord your God chooses." And you shall come to the priests, the Levites, and to the judge there in those days, and inquire of them. They shall pronounce upon you the sentence of judgment. You shall do according to the sentence which they pronounce upon you in that place which the Lord chooses. And you shall be careful to do according to all that they order you. According to the sentence of the law in which they instruct you, According to the judgment which they tell you, you shall do. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left from the sentence which they pronounce upon you. Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 1 through 11.
Deuteronomy 15, Deuteronomy 16, and Deuteronomy 17, Moses continues to talk, and it is fascinating. Now, our culture is actively engaged in justifying, ignoring, and even celebrating sin, S-I-N. Well, regardless, sin remains a serious problem. And if we look closely, we still do agree on the definition of the word. For example, even in dictionary.com, it defines sin this way. A transgression of divine law, any act regarding as such a transgression, especially a willful, deliberate violation of some religious or moral principle. Interesting. I think that there are many reasons we avoid honest discussion and thoughtfulness when it comes to sin. It's uncomfortable to face our own evil, and it often feels impossible to change the way we are. So, rather than try, we justify. Sin, however, is the beginning of God's story of redemption. Because of sin, Jesus Christ did what he did. He sacrificed. He paid the cost that we owed. A perfect life given to ransom flawed ones. His own resources given on behalf of our debt. Now, this is the good news or the gospel. And this is exactly what Christians must share with everyone who is willing to listen. And it is the Holy Spirit who will do the rest. And we need to pay attention to this because the Lord is speaking today. And as the Lord speaks, let's listen. Today we focus on Deuteronomy chapter 17, Serious Sin. Take your Bible guide, it looks like this, and turn to the page. Now, if you don't have a Bible guide, you can call us or write to us. Or you can go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com. And when you go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com, it's interesting because uh, you click on the Bible guide and the, the page is right there. So that's very, very important. As we look at the scripture today, we learn something interesting. We're going to pray first. Father, help us. We're studying sin. Help us today to get serious about this. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. Not an easy subject. No, it's not. Deuteronomy chapter 17. Hmm. He says, You shall not sacrifice to the Lord your God a bull or a sheep which has any blemish or defect, for that is an abomination to the Lord your God. An abomination to the Lord your God. Now, this is what it means. Sacrifice for sin cannot be negotiated. We give our personal offerings to God today because of what he has done for us. I have so many people and a friend of mine said to me, well, I'll make a deal with God. And I would always tell him, you don't make deals with God. But he was making deals with God. You know, I'll give you this, you give me that. You don't make deals with God. We're all sinners. And we come to God and ask his forgiveness, beloved. That's what we do because that's important. And we need to say, Lord, forgive us of our sin. That's the starting point. And when we have a relationship with God, things begin to change. So that becomes very important. Deuteronomy 17, verses 2 to 5. Here's what the scripture says. If there is found among you, within any of your gates, which the Lord your God gives you, a man or a woman who has been wicked in the sight of the Lord your God, in transgressing his covenant... 
God's covenant, who has gone and served other gods and worshiped them, either the sun, moon, or any of the other hosts of heaven, which I have not commanded, and it is told to you, and you hear of it, then you shall inquire diligently, and if it is indeed true and certain that such an abomination has been committed in Israel, then you shall bring out to your gates that man or that woman who has committed that wicked thing, and you shall stone them to death, that man or that woman with stones. That's incredible. Moses explains the violation of corrupting the covenant of God. Most people don't see that. It's the covenant of God. You see, we must never compromise our faith in God and our walk with God and his word in our worship of God. Hmm. We should never compromise that. We need to keep that close to our hearts. So, Father, help us not to compromise. Everybody's telling us that we should celebrate all these sins, but Lord, not that we don't, we're not afraid of anybody with all these phobias and all that stuff, but we don't celebrate their sin. We don't celebrate that, Lord. We love them, but we don't celebrate. Help us, Father. Here's the next scripture, 6 to 11. Whoever is deserving of death shall be put to death on the testimony of two or three witnesses, not one. The testimony of two or three witnesses, he shall not be put to death on the testimony of one. The hands of the witness shall be on the first, shall be the first against him to put him to death. And afterward, the hands of all the people. So you shall put away the evil from among you. If a matter arises which is too hardy for you to judge between degrees of guilt for bloodshed, between one judgment or another, or between one punishment or another, matters of controversy within your gates, then you shall arise and go up to the place which the Lord your God chooses. And you shall come to the priest, the Levites, and to the judge there in those days and inquire of them, and they shall pronounce upon you the sentence of judgment. You shall do according to the sentence which they pronounce upon you in that place which the Lord chooses. And you shall be careful to do according to all that they order you, according to the sentence of the law in which they instruct you, according to the judgment which they tell you, you shall do. You shall not turn aside to the right or to the right hand or to the left from the sentence which they pronounce upon you. That's interesting. That sounds like a legal covenant, doesn't it, in the Bible? Two or three witnesses were required to convict someone of wrong. God values all human life, and it should never be ours to manipulate. And a lot of people try to manipulate life and make deals with people and all that. And they, but, but listen, we, there's no deal making. God says to us, we need to pay attention. Now, we live in New Testament times. This is a different time. And Jesus has paid the cost. So these exact punishments are different now. But we have to understand that the pronouncement of the conviction is not different, but the punishment is because of Jesus Christ, the cross and the resurrection. Beloved, we need to keep that in mind. God did the work for us. And 
The witness was to put his hands on the one he's accusing and then tell him, you did this wrong. And then the others would put their hands on him and then they would stone him. That's incredible. Because they wanted the responsibility to fully be on the people who are claiming. So I guarantee you this. Nobody really cheated the system back then. It was very costly. Very interesting. Welcome back to the show. Now, as I mentioned off the top of the program, it's a food fight today. Why? Because some critics claim that the Bible contradicts itself over what kinds of food that we're allowed to eat. Specifically, they ask, what kinds of animals are we allowed to eat? Some Bible passages say none. Others say some, and still others say that we may eat all animals. So, which is it? Well, one of the passages in question is Deuteronomy chapter 14. So let's take a look. While many hold the Bible in very high esteem and accept its profession that it is God-breathed, others claim that it is foolish to trust its words because it's full of hundreds of errors and contradictions. While no such error or contradiction has yet been proven to the satisfaction of a court of law, still the allegations persist. One example of this has to do with the diet given to mankind by God. In particular, what kind of animals are we permitted to eat? According to Genesis 1.29, Proverbs 23.20, Daniel 1.8, and Romans 14.21, no animals may be eaten. But according to Deuteronomy 14.7-8, and Leviticus 11.2-4, only clean animals may be eaten. And according to Genesis 9.3, Mark 7.18-20, Luke 10.8, Acts 10.9-13, 1 Corinthians 10.25, Romans 14.2, and 1 Timothy 4.1-3, all animals may be eaten. So then, which set of passages are correct? Actually, they all are. It is in fact the critic who has erred here, because he or she has failed to distinguish between different times in history, and failed to read the passages carefully. In regards to the timeline, God originally designed humans and animals to be vegetarian. At a later time, after the flood, God permitted people to eat the meat of any animal. Sometime after that, God placed additional restrictions on the kinds of meat that the Israelites were permitted to eat. This symbolically showed their separation as God's chosen people under the Old Testament administration before the coming of Christ. At a later time, when Christ came, God removed the dietary restrictions on the Israelites because the Old Testament administration had expired. It is also obvious that the critic has not read the passages very carefully, since some of them are completely irrelevant to the question which they posed, namely Proverbs 23.20 and Romans 14.2 and 21. Proverbs 23.20 is a warning against gluttony, and thus isn't speaking about the type of food we may eat, but rather the quantity thereof. And Romans 14.2 and 21 also doesn't place on us any dietary restrictions. Rather, it warns us to be mindful about what we do in front of others, lest it makes them stumble in their faith. Where then is there any error? 
So as you can see, there are absolutely no errors or contradictions between these passages whatsoever. The critic simply hasn't read the Bible carefully enough to realize that these passages represent different times in history. Also, regarding the food requirements listed in Deuteronomy 14, these were laws meant only for the Israelites under the Old Testament administration, so there is no contradiction. The truth is, people don't reject the Bible because it contradicts itself. They reject it because it contradicts the way that they want to live. And that's the real heart of the issue. You know, it's really true what the Bible says of itself in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, that it is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. You know, reading and applying the Bible to our lives really is like spiritual surgery. It hurts at first, but ultimately it saves our lives. Something, something to think about. Yeah, that, that really is important because surgery is uh, something that a lot of people say, I had surgery and this saved my life. And, but surgery is a violation of the body, but that's what God does spiritually. He mm -hmm. comes in and changes the way things are because we're not right. 100%. Sin yeah. has made us wrong. And so right. that's very, very interesting. Thank you, Ryan. Corey? All right. Well, today we are diving into the book of Deuteronomy as we continue to study through it. A lot of people get confused over the purpose of Deuteronomy because it seems to just be repeating in a different order in a slightly different format what we've already read in Exodus, Leviticus and Numbers. And truthfully, that is what a lot of Deuteronomy is. But the key question is, why? Why would that be the case? Take a look. The Old Testament book of Deuteronomy is remembered as the fifth book of Moses. Its name comes from the Greek meaning second law. And while Deuteronomy is a kind of retelling of the Mosaic law, it's not an exact copy. It's better understood as an explanation of the Mosaic law to a new generation of Israelites about to enter the promised land. The author is focused on how the law should be applied once Israel is established in living in the land. While Deuteronomy presents itself as a series of speeches given by an aged Moses to this next generation, the general scholarly consensus is that it is a book compiled much later, around 622 BC, during the religious reforms of King Josiah. In this view, the theology of Deuteronomy is pitted against the earlier biblical books. It's claimed that it represents a radically different view of God. It is true that Deuteronomy emphasizes a more socially practical version of the law. For example, in its emphasis on protecting widows, orphans, and foreigners in the land. But this is also what one would expect if the law was moving from theoretical application in the wilderness into a settled city life post-conquest. It's widely accepted that later editing must have been done to the original text. There are references that require time to have passed since the actual events. There are third-person mentions of Moses and the account of his death in chapter 34. Interestingly, if Deuteronomy was used consistently in public ceremonies, as was in fact commanded in chapter 31, this would explain why later amendments were introduced. It's been discovered that the book as a whole mimics the literary structure of a Hittite vassal treaty. These treaties were made between a conquering king and his newly conquered people. This choice of structure says a lot about what the author was intending to communicate to the Israelites about God as their king. The structure also highlights the monotheistic bent of Israel. When witnesses are called, rather than the pagan version of calling other gods and goddesses, Deuteronomy calls the heavens and the earth themselves to testify against Israel. 
The Vassal Treaty structure may also provide some evidence for an earlier date of composition. The structure itself has an earlier and later form. Deuteronomy follows the decidedly earlier form structure that dates to the second millennium BC. So I hope that that helps you to kind of realign your thinking on um, what the purpose of Deuteronomy is as you read through it. I think it for me, at least, it enables me to look at Deuteronomy with fresh eyes, you know, as we're preparing ourselves to move into uh, some of the more historical narrative sections of the Bible. So we're going to be getting into some more action again with uh, Joshua and Judges and, and Samuel. So this really just resets our minds. How are the Israelites supposed to be living in the promised land? And then we're going to see how they actually live, which doesn't always line up, but we'll get there. Yeah, it doesn't. And it's really interesting to see see this because, mm -hmm. you know, the Bible, it's said that the Bible is a book of propaganda and it's not because if you read if it's it, it's trying to, yeah, it's not really trying to make Israel look great or it, the leaders no. look great. It's, it's not, not accomplishing that task if that's what it's setting out to do. Yeah. And, and it's, so it's not propaganda in any way, shape or form. So this is very interesting. Thank you, Corey. Excellent. Mm -hmm. Janice. What the Bible does um, is really show human nature for what it is what sin has done to corrupt what God had originally designed. And um, today I decided to title my segment, Cast the First Stone, because I'm looking at this chapter in the previous chapter in 16 and 17, where justice must be administered. And we read through these, these requirements that God had, and it's very harsh and it's very stark and very hard for us to even comprehend in our culture today. And I look at it, and it's very sobering that sin was punishable by death. We see here that two or three witnesses had to come if they saw somebody committing a transgression or a sin. And the onus really was put on those witnesses because it says in Deuteronomy 17, verse 7, the hands of the witnesses shall be the first against him to put him to death and afterward the hands of all the people. So this wasn't something that you brought an accusation against somebody flippantly or just because you didn't like them because you were the one that would inflict the first stone. You would be the one to put that evildoer to death and then everybody would follow. It goes true and rings true with Romans 6 verse 23 where we read the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This has not changed. For transgressions, for sin against God is punishable by death. But Jesus Christ is the one who changed all that. He came and gave himself, shed his perfect blood in defense of us. He is our witness. He is our redeemer when we come to him in repentance. He did not come to condemn, but to forgive. And I'm just thinking about that right now. John 3, 16, 
but then it goes on in 17, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And then verse 17, listen to this. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He gives us salvation. Remember the story of the man and the woman caught in adultery in in John uh, chapter 8? And the Pharisees and the scribes, they want to kind of catch Jesus in what he believes because Moses says that, that, that people caught in this act of adultery should be stoned. What do you say? Jesus, do you remember that? They, they confronted him and, and it was like he wasn't even listening. And he stooped down and he started writing in the sand. And he said, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. Huh. There would be a great pause. And it says that Jesus stooped down again and began to write in the sand. And it says that from the oldest to the youngest, they started to walk away. Those who had brought only the woman to Jesus, they walked away. The rest of the people were just waiting to see what Jesus would say. They didn't know. They didn't know. He was writing in the sand. What was he writing in the sand? See, without Christ, there's darkness in our hearts, and that rules us. It's only when we let the light of Jesus Christ enter into our hearts can we ever begin to hope that there will be any kind of change. And not because we're great people, but because we serve a great and gracious God. What did Jesus say? He looked at the woman and he said, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Let that light rule your heart today. It's called Beyond the Call, and if you look it up on YouTube, Pastor Rod Hembry, that's the channel, and subscribe to it, Pastor Rod Hembry. Then every time we do a new one, and we've got several new ones that are coming all the time, it's the testimony of how God changed their life. How did God become more than just a name to them? We give that testimony on Beyond the Call. Today, let's pray. Lord, help me to serve you, no matter who my earthly government is or where I'm at. I want to serve you. 